So let me read for us from Isaiah chapter 64, beginning in verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our fathers praised you, has been burned by fire, and all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we've already said this morning, this week begins the season of Advent. And depending on your church background, you might be familiar with Advent and you might not be. One thing that I had to learn as an adult because I didn't grow up celebrating Advent at all is that Advent is not Christmas. Advent is actually the pre-Christmas season. Advent is about waiting. The word Advent means coming. And so we are awaiting the coming of Jesus. It's a time where we celebrate and remember our fathers in the faith who waited for Jesus's first coming. And it's also a time where we rest and wait for God's second coming in Jesus. It's about waiting for God to show up in our lives, for God to show up in our world and do what he's promised to do. One of my favorite authors is Cormac McCarthy, and he's written a book called No Country for Old Men. It also was made into a movie. You might have seen the movie. And if you've seen the movie, you're probably thinking, why are you using this as an opening Christmas illustration? And I'll tell you, this is not Christmas. It's Advent. Uh, One scene in No Country for Old Men is one that I really love. The protagonist in that book is a guy named Sheriff Bell. He's played by Tommy Lee Jones of San Antonio, by the way, in the movie. And uh, Sheriff Bell is fighting a losing war on the border in West Texas against drug dealers, etc. And in one scene, he enters into a restaurant in the little small West Texas town in which he lives. And Cormac McCarthy writes this. When the, ra- when the waitress came with more coffee, he asked her what time they got the evening paper. I don't know, she said. I quit reading it. I don't blame you, he said. I would if I could. She replied, I don't know why they call it a newspaper. I don't call that stuff news. When was the last time you read something about Jesus Christ in the newspaper? Bell shook his head. And in a very Cormac McCarthy moment, he responds by saying this. I don't know. I guess I'd have to say it would be a long while. And the waitress responds, I think it's been a long while too. That scene pictures for us what Advent is all about. It's been a long time since God has made the news. That might be the case in your life right now. It might seem like God is distant. It might seem like he's far off. It might seem like God is hiding from you. That's actually something we read about in this story, in this prophecy from Isaiah. We read about the God who hides. And that's an appropriate theme for Advent, because Advent is really all about stopping and sitting in our 
waiting. In our waiting for God to show up. It's about staring straight into the darkness of our lives and the darkness of this world so that we can appreciate the meaning of the light that comes at Christmas. Fleming Rutledge has written this, Advent teaches us to delay Christmas in order to experience it truly when it finally comes. And so for this first Sunday in Advent, we're going to look at the God who hides. The God who hides. That's what this Isaiah passage is about. It's about waiting on God in the middle of seeming hopelessness. It's about waiting on God in the middle of our own sin. And waiting on God when he seems to have vanished. And so I want to break this down into three parts for you as we walk through this together this morning. First, I want to show you the God who hides in wrath. Secondly, the God who hides in mystery. Thirdly, the God who hides and hears. There's your outline. Here we go. First, the God who hides in wrath. The context of this Isaiah passage is set really after the exile of the people of Israel. That's what Isaiah is prophesying about. And if you're unfamiliar with this part of the story of the Bible, then let me just briefly summarize it for you. The Old Testament people of God, the nation of Israel, were unfaithful to the Lord for centuries. They worshipped false gods. They spurned the Lord's affection for them. And after many warnings from God, and after ongoing rebellion from the people of Israel, God sent his people into exile in Babylon. This happened in 587 BC. He did that in a holy act of judgment. And the city of Jerusalem, the capital, was conquered. And the people were marched straight out of the city into a foreign land. And they dwelled there in Babylon for a couple of generations. Now, Isaiah prophesied about the exile, and he also prophesied about the end of the exile, which is what we read about in this prophecy. The end of the exile is when a remnant of the Jews that were living in Babylon went back to Jerusalem, went back to Israel, only to find their city a shadow of what it once was. And so given the background of the exile and the return home from exile, we can see that these verses in Isaiah are what is called a lament. They're a lament. They are a cry for God to be merciful to them. These verses are a cry from the people of God to see, for God to see them in their brokenness and in their need. This text is a lament that God seems to have disappeared. He's hiding. Look in verse 7. They say, you have hidden your face from us. I wonder if your relationship with God ever feels like that. I think that if we're honest, no matter how long we've been Christians, or if we're Christians at all, we would admit that at times we feel like God is hiding. And I want you to hear this morning that that is actually an Advent theme. And so given that background, Isaiah tells us that there is a reason that God seems to have disappeared. God, in fact, is hiding. God is hiding in wrath. Look at verse 6. We read there, We have all become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds, our best deeds, are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So Isaiah is saying here that God has distance himself. He has distanced himself from his people because of their sinfulness. That's a truth that we see all over the scriptures. Sin makes each and every one of us polluted. 
It makes us all unclean, impure, so that we cannot face or stand before a God who is purity and holiness itself. The phrase there, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, is a powerful phrase. It doesn't mean that these are just kind of gross, dirty, polluted rags. Rather, they are ritually unclean. They're contaminated. They're desecrated. They're unholy. This text is saying that that's what even our best efforts are worth due to the power of sin in our lives. So we're unclean, we read here. And then verse 7 continues. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. So the lament here is that the people of God are lackadaisical and apathetic towards the Lord. The people are, they're not stirred up in their affections for God. The people of Israel assumed God's presence. They were even bored by God. I wonder if you've ever experienced that. If there have been times in your life where you've assumed that God's just going to be who he always has been for you, and really it's all become kind of boring and ordinary. I remember when I was a high school student sitting in my home church with my mom. One Sunday we had a guest preacher come and preach. And uh, he was preaching on Romans 8. Depending on your familiarity with the Bible, you might know that's one of the great chapters in all of the Bible where the Apostle Paul reaches these incredible heights in talking about God's grace. And this gentleman got up to read the scripture and he read Romans 8 in the most morose, sad, depressed, boring way you can imagine. And I was a 16, 17-year-old boy and I remember thinking, what he's saying doesn't seem to match what he's reading. And then I looked at my mom, who was seated just to the right of me, and she was weeping. And I asked her afterwards, Mom, what's going on? And she's like, I just, I can't stand to hear something so beautiful read as if it's so boring. Has that ever happened in your life? That's part of the lament here. The Israelites are saying, God, we've turned away from you. We've assumed you. We've forgotten the depths of your grace. And so we see that as a result of all of that, God has turned himself away from his people. God is hiding. He's hiding in wrath. He's hiding himself as an act of judgment against a people towards whom he had been incredibly gracious, but who continued to view him as nothing but an inconvenience in their otherwise decent lives. What do we learn here? Well, there's a lot we can learn, but the thing that struck me and that I hope strikes you is that even the best of us, even the best of us are distorted and unclean. Even our righteous deeds, we read here, are polluted. We learn in this text and all through the scriptures that all pretensions at human progress really are a sham and an illusion. Remember a few years ago, um, the website Ashley Madison was uh, hacked. There was a data breach. And Ashley Madison was a website where you could sign up for an account and it was promising a very discreet, secret way for you to have adulterous affairs with other people. And hackers hacked the website and released everyone who had an account with Ashley Madison in 2015. And the news stories at the time talked about some very, very prominent men and women who had accounts and whose lives in turn were destroyed. Some very, very prominent Religious figures and pastors and spiritual leaders were on the list as well. 
It was yet another example that shows us that just beneath the surface that we work so hard to maintain is a deep, deep level of uncleanliness, pollution, and mess. And the reason we have to look at that at Advent is because in order to see the power of the coming of Jesus Christ into the world, we have to face the darkness in our own hearts. We must see that God hides from people because of their sin. Even our best efforts are polluted. And doesn't that show itself in your life in countless ways, if you're honest? Think about your own motives. Think about your own inner world, even in the successes and victories that you enjoy in life. And have you ever experienced significant professional success due to your own hard work? Things are going great for you at work, but you still jealously feel like you didn't get enough credit. Have you ever labored faithfully as a parent and felt like you're doing pretty well with your kids? They seem to be decent and obedient and yet silently judged other parents when you see their children misbehaving? Have you ever resolved not to engage in that certain sin again? And then days or weeks or months, or let's be honest, minutes later, you've fallen right back into it. We're polluted. We're hopelessly unclean. Even our best is nothing but a filthy rag, Isaiah says, and God hides. So Isaiah is lamenting the sin of the people and the judgment of God as a consequence. But this passage is also a lament about God hiding in mystery. And we see that second. It's a confession of sin, as we've seen, but it's also a cry of confusion. Look at verses 10 through 12. These present us with another corporate lament. This is one of the great examples in the Bible of corporate lament. The people of God are asking out loud, where is God? Look at those verses again, starting there in 9 B, the end of nine. Behold, please look. We are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you. It's been burned by fire. All our pleasant places have become ruins. And then here's the key. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silence and afflict us so terribly? So we just saw that these verses are speaking about the return of Israel to Jerusalem. And they find their city, it's rubble compared to what it was before Babylon came in and conquered. And the people are looking at their shattered lives. They're looking at their once wonderful city. And they're wondering if God has abandoned them for good. So what we see here is Isaiah speaking for the people and saying, Yes, God, we believe and we confess that you have hidden yourself from us because of the evil that we have done. That's true. But you also hide... When evil is done to us, where is God? It's a mystery as to why he does not fix this right now. Doesn't he care? That's the tone of these verses. And here's the thing for you. Advent is the right time for asking hard questions. Where are you, God? Why aren't you doing anything, God? How can you allow this, God? Last Sunday, on the way home from church, uh, Ben and I, or maybe it was two Sundays ago, Ben is my six-year-old. He was in the back seat coming home with me. And on the way home, Ben said, Hey, Dad, I think it's really interesting that God made everything, even all the bad things. And I thought, ooh, moment for theological instruction. (laughs) 
Well, listen, Benjamin, uh, actually God is not the author of evil. He allows sin and bad things, but the Bible tells us repeatedly that God is good and that God is not in any way the author of evil. And Ben sat back there silently for a minute. And being the very thoughtful Evans boy that he is, he said, well, Dad, that doesn't make much sense to me. Why would God allow bad things? And I was like, ooh, touche. You got me there. (laughs) And I said, Ben, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That's a great question. Ben's questions were Advent questions. Advent begins in the dark. Advent begins by asking these questions of God. Isaiah is depicting here the silence and the absence of God that we have all felt. How can these terrible things happen, God? Why are you allowing this? Aren't you good? Aren't you powerful? I read this week about a funeral that happened some years ago in the mid-1990s in Belgium. And the funeral was held for uh, multiple little girls who had been kidnapped and abused and killed by this severely deranged and perverted man. Over a number of years, he had systematically and slowly starved them to death from a dungeon in the basement of his house. And uh, at the funeral... The priest's hand was trembling violently as he spoke the prayers being said for these children all over Belgium at the time. And in a voice of intense anger, the priest said out loud, Is the good Lord deaf? Is the good Lord deaf? That's the question the people of God are asking in this story. That's an Advent question. Have you ever asked that? Have you ever wondered why God is hiding Where is God when my life is falling apart? Where is God when I am being victimized? Where is God when all I see is evil everywhere? Where is God when I am in despair and confusion? Where is God in this sickness and death? Where is God when I pray for healing and there's nothing but illness? Is the good Lord death? If you've ever silently or loudly asked those questions, you're joining in with the chorus of God's people over the centuries who are attempting to come to terms with the deep, deep wreckage of this world. These verses are an invitation for you to be honest with God. When God and his seeming absence seem like a complete mystery to you, you have permission to groan to him. If you're a Christian and if you grew up kind of in evangelical Christianity, My guess is that you struggle to be honest with God when you have those questions. You want to muzzle yourself and shut those questions deep within somewhere and lock the door and throw away the key. Because we really don't think of God in the way the scripture pictures him. We think of God as like a really bad leader or a really bad commander that can't take any criticism because he's so insecure. But apart with A part of wrestling with reality is wrestling with the mystery of God's absence in the hard things that we see in the world and that we see in our lives. Part of Christianity is asking the exact question that Ben asked me. Why does God allow that? Blaise Pascal was a great Christian of a couple hundred years ago who wrote a lot, and he put the truth in a very arresting way when he writes, every religion which does not affirm that God is hidden is not true. Every religion which does not affirm that God is hidden is not true. God's hiding in wrath. He's hiding in mystery. However, these hard verses, this lament, is is not the whole story. 
Did you notice something else interesting about these verses? All of these complaints against God, all of this corporate lament and crying out to God, all of them are made to his face. Do you think about that? That's one of the most arresting features of biblical faith. We see something here that we see all over the Bible. Even when God appears to be absent, even when God appears to be absent, the community of faith goes on addressing him, goes on protesting to him. So this lament carries within it, in spite of its apparent hopelessness, a kind of uh, a hope against hope, a kind of expectation, a kind of insistence that God has got to do something. And that's the position that we find ourselves in this morning as well, I hope. We can still speak to God and plead with God and seek God in his seeming absence. That's what this scripture is teaching us. We can do that because we know that God hears us even when he's hiding. We know that God hears us even when he's hiding. And these verses give us, I think, two ways forward when God is hiding in our lives. Let me give you those two and then we'll wrap up. First, when God is hiding, we know he hears us because we remember. We remember. We know that God hears us even when he is hiding because we can remember what God has done. If you'll look in the broader context of Isaiah, in the prior verses, in chapter 63 and 64, you'll see that. For example, look in chapter 63, verses 11 through 14. Let me just read that for you. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths? These verses are about remembering God's prior deliverance. And then applying that to our present distress. These verses teach us to say to ourselves, they teach us to say to ourselves that when God hides in wrath and when God hides in mystery, we can say to ourselves, God has acted. God has acted to save in the past and God is unchanging and God has made promises to me and God has always been faithful. That is the working of what I call a gospel memory. A gospel memory remembers what God has done. When God is hiding in your life, when God is hiding in your life, can you remember his past faithfulness? Can you remember how he has saved you? How he has changed you? How he has sent you his Holy Spirit? And further, Can you remember what God has done for his people throughout the ages? That's one of the great treasures of the scriptures, which we have copies of in our own languages in our day. We can read the Bible and look and see what God has always done for his people. He gave barren Sarah and Abraham a son when they were well past the age of childbearing. He gave Jacob back his son Joseph. When he thought Joseph was lost to him forever, he rescued Israel out of slavery after 400 years in Egypt. And he brought the people into a land of their own when they were greatly outnumbered and outmatched. He forgave David for his own failures and ensured him that his children would always be on the throne. And above all, think about this. He brought back Jesus from the dead after three days. 
Can you imagine a time when God seemed more absent than those intervening hours between the death and the resurrection? Imagine Peter, who had denied Christ three times with vows to have never known the man, who was hiding in fear and in shame after his master had been murdered. Imagine how Peter felt about the promises of God in that moment. God had left the building, but then Christ came back. His dead heart began to beat. Blood began to run through his veins. And Christ forgave Peter. Christ commissioned Peter. The point is that God is always faithful, even when he appears to be gone. In the middle of God's hiding, we remember by faith. and We know that he still hears us. We remember. Secondly, when God hides, we hope. In these verses, we see hope in the midst of hurt. We didn't read this, but look at verse 1 of chapter 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. And then skip to verse 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you. Listen, who acts for those who wait for him? God, the real God, acts for those who wait for him. The season of Advent is an exercise in waiting. And because that's true, it's an exercise in hope. That is what you are being called into this morning. You're being called into remembrance and into hope. And the good news is that, as the Apostle Paul puts it in the New Testament, hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. And it doesn't disappoint because God has come once and will come again. God has come in the person of Jesus Christ to bear all the weight of our own evil and to bear all the weight of the evil we see in this world and can't explain. And from Jesus Christ, God hid himself. When Jesus cried out to God on the cross, he received no answer. It was radio silence. God abandoned Jesus at the cross. But then he raised him from the dead. And that's the final proof positive. That even when God seems absent, he will never abandon us or forsake us. Because he abandoned Jesus for you. But then raised Jesus up to life and you with him if you're connected to Christ by faith. When we remember and when we hope, we see that even in God's hiding, he hears. The cross assures us of that. Anne Lamott has written that hope is a revolutionary patience. Hope is a revolutionary patience. And that is the message of Advent. That's the message that the Holy Spirit speaks into a dark world and into the darkness of your own lives. At the heart of Advent is the proclamation that God did not remain where he was, high above the misery of his creation, but that God came down incognito into the middle of it. Advent is about the announcement that God has come and that God will come again, and his justice will prevail, and he will destroy evil and pain in all its forms once and forever. To be a Christian is to live in expectation 
of that fulfillment. It's to say with David in Psalm 30, though sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Remember and hope. Let's pray.